This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a great show, and I appreciate you being here. Continue to be here. And you know how to call us, 1-866-408-7669. I'm not going to be talking a lot about the war in history today, but I'll be giving away a few of my books. It's my way of fighting back uh, against people that want to run from our past when I think we should embrace it, learn from it. Uh, and you can do that by calling into the show. And from George Washington's Secret Six to Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, to Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, which is now out on paperback, as well as the two kids' versions, we'll push back little by little. Being that you're not in school, you need something to read. Being that you can't teach, uh, something to do. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We are seeing a serious surge in cases. It's a serious health care situation, but it's a very different situation than what we saw a couple of months ago, say, in New York. The average age of individuals testing positive is decades younger than what we've been used to. Uh, that is true. Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, but the numbers are going up. Coronavirus cases rising in the southwest and southeast. How do we stop the spread like we did in the northeast while opening schools and sports? Number two. We need a police force. We need these institutions to provide peace and security in society, to allow our lives to flourish. We need to support the police so they're out there protecting the community. But by the same time, we have to be sure that there aren't these abuses. And that's what he's trying to do. Attorney General Barr was requested by uh, Senator Scott to come down to South Carolina and talk, and he did. Policing. Is America sobering up to the reality that officers are not... The problem. They're the good guys. Minneapolis, yes. New York, I think they're starting to sober up. The aftermath of Seattle's chop zone of the chaos in New York has clear minds stepping up from the brink of self-destruction and chaos. Number one. And I think the compromise that uh, they came up with, if implemented, will make Biden the most progressive president uh, since FDR. And guess who's cheering? Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders weighing in on a 110-page combined report that talked about how to meld the Biden agenda with the Sanders agenda. Now the hard part, getting a 77-year-old trying to remake himself. He wants to be a Bernie bro. Will anyone buy it? Plus, the squad is back with more on their radical left agenda. Will he buy that? And if he doesn't, and if people don't believe he will, why would they vote for him? It's funny. They do this study, this Pew study, and they say 33% of Biden voters view him as the reason why they are voting for him. 67% of Biden voters say they're voting for him because it's against Donald Trump. So what Trump has to do, and Mick Mulvaney talked about this, is get Biden out and say, who would you rather have? And you go and do that while revealing what Biden would do. This isn't the guy in the 90s that people called a moderate. I don't know. He was in so many scandals, ran for president three times. 
I, I never thought he was a powerful figure. I know he was a loud figure. I know he was chairman of foreign relations and became the vice president. But he was never a dominant figure, never a dominant intellect. He wasn't making news like John McCain was making news like Lindsey Graham does today and Senator Kennedy does today. But, you know, the president's trailing right now. And Joe Biden has got to be defining himself right now. And that's what you got to do. You got to make Joe Biden come out and talk about what he's going to do because he got this nomination, not because he earned it. It's because he wasn't Bernie Sanders. So they sat down, did their two task force and came up with a progressive agenda that Sanders could sign on for. And the fact that Sanders is ebullient over it shows that Biden caved in on all of it. Democrats who is in Trump's National emergency when it comes to immigration. Terminate the Trump administration travel bans. Reinstate, expand, and streamline protections for dreamers and parents of dreamers. And that, of course, throws our whole immigration system into chaos. And the Trump administration uh, efforts to close the door on uh, refugees. We limited. Uh, Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force talks about eliminating net zero greenhouse gas emissions quickly by 2030. Good. That'll destroy oil and gas business. Eliminate the carbon pollution from power plants by 2035. Outside nuclear, you're all screwed. Make energy-saving upgrades. Biden also had on that committee AOC. Now, what is AOC and company in this? And uh, and by the way, she's also they also eliminating vouchers. So the last thing you want is a kid from a underprivileged uh, community going to a good school. So you're not going to be able to rip them out of those underachieving schools for free for government money because they're taking away the vouchers. Why? Because they're in bed with the teachers union. So the Breathe Act. I'm wondering if if Joe Biden wants the next generation of Democrats, he's got to sign on to things like abolishing ankle bracelets, abolishing gang databases, recommend, uh, eliminating the DEA, yeah, the Drug Enforcement Agency and ICE, and begin to decarcerate their jails and defund police forces. Now, Donald Trump said Joe Biden wants to defund police, and Biden says, no, I don't. Okay. I think he's starting to. How do I know that? He was asked. Joe Biden was asked about defunding the police. And he has an answer. And it's like, yeah, we will redistribute funds. Cut five. I am committed to following the debate, the, uh, the national debate group that sets up these debates, who they pick as the moderators, three of them. I commit to those. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so whatever he meant, he says he'll debate three. I, I sense he doesn't want to debate. Here he is talking about police, cut 13. Surplus military equipment for law enforcement. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that— do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes, uh, absolutely. Hmm. So you can redirect some of the funding. This is the impossible situation he's in. Because if you want Black Lives Matter and you want the African-American vote, I think you could support African-Americans and not support uh, Black Lives Matter. That's another story. But Yohani Nago, she's from the Philadelphia representative from Black Lives Matter. You want her vote, right? Because you didn't get enough black votes last time to the Democrats with Hillary Clinton and you lost the election. Now you want to get them. Well, this is what you got to do. Cut 14. One of the things that we're demanding is the, um, the funding over five years 
to um, to the complete abolition. So we don't want to see any police in our community in, over the course of those five years. And the five years gives time for the community to begin to build what is needed instead of police so that we, we're not looking to leave any kind of a vacancy around the issue of safety. Good luck. Good luck. That's Joe Biden. This is what he's looking at. And what the Republicans got to do is force him out on this. Which one is it? You got to be a moderate like Bill Clinton and James Carville wants? Or do you got to leave the left wing out there? Are you going to lie to him again? You know, Hillary Clinton was unable to excite people. Joe Biden is not threatening to people, but he also doesn't execute anything. And at 77 years old, can't really answer many questions. I just don't know how long you can last without throwing a punch, without putting your chin out to get punched verbally, of course. When it comes to policing, I really believe there's a there's a sobering up attitude around America, not on, not with Democrats. Minneapolis group has come out against dismantling police. A panel of violence prevention supporters in Minneapolis held an emergency news conference to express their opposition to the city's agenda to dismantle the police department. Fantastic. Cut 20. We cannot continue to watch these bullets flying through our community. It is time for us to stand up in this city. It is time to tell the city council that utopia is a bunch of BS. We are not in Mayberry RFD. We are in the wild, wild west. And it is time for some answers. Yes, thankfully, people want to see the city safe. But defunding and disarming the police is not the way to do it. New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo who likes to give his sermons, doesn't really do much about it. Here's the governor of New York noticing that crime is spiking 200% in some places. Shootings are gone wild. Murders are up and running rampant. Cops are retiring at the tune of a 400% rate over last year at this time. He thinks he knows why. A Democrat, cut 22. You have the ongoing relationship between the community and the police. How is that affecting the NYPD? Uh, Some of the arrest numbers appear to be down. What does that mean, right? You have the protests going on, the relationship between the community and the police, which is right now dysfunctional. It's just dysfunctional. And there's no sugarcoating it. And it's not about making changes on the budget. It's not about tear gas or rubber bullets. The relationship itself doesn't work. Uh, And there's a lot of distrust between both sides and disdain. Now, retirements, June 6th, June, June 29th to June 6th. 2019, 35 officers, now 179. That's a 411% increase. You know what they're saying now? I can't take too many each day. So they're limiting the amount of officers that can retire at once, but they can't stop you. Do you know what they're saying? So they put in 10 years, 12 years, and they say, rather than get my 20 and then get my pension, I'd rather quit now. Maybe it's safety and maybe it's just personal pride. I am not sure. Either way is unacceptable. They went from the finest people taking the tourists, taking pictures with them to now vilified. I quit. I'm not even having a new academy. The 600 person anti-crime unit's been disbanded, has been just sent out and dispersed or asked to retire. 
At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to talk to Bill Galston. He writes a weekly column for the Wall Street Journal, senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. He's going to talk about reformers' dissent and what's patriotic and what is not historically. And I'm going to be taking some of your calls, 1-866-408-7669. But you heard sobering remarks from a governor who doesn't do anything but likes to talk about it, who asks himself his own questions. Isn't it fascinating? You know, you would think he's repeating a question from a foreign country, but he's not getting questions. So he asks himself questions, and many people surprised that he does such a good job answering his own questions. I am not that surprised. So the governor the, in Minneapolis, you see what's going on. The governor of New York, you see that group in Minneapolis, you see what's going on. I think there's a sense that cops are getting disrespected. It's going way over the top when there's other things going wrong in urban communities that have nothing to do with the cops. But if you are a Democratic politician, and you want to be the next senator, the next congressman, I, you should be asked every single day, do you subscribe to the squad agenda, the Breathe Act? Do you just subscribe to defunding the police? Do you subscribe to what Black Lives Matters does? Not that we don't want racial justice, but Black Lives Matters, there might be one way, uh, a different way to approach racial, uh, racial justice without going through BLM. So as we go to break, I just want you to see what a Biden administration We'll bring you a woman from Minnesota with even more power, Congressman Elon Omar. As long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. So we cannot stop at criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
There's no one that wants their kids back uh, with us more than, than teachers. Maybe, maybe their parents. Maybe their parents beat us out there. But we want to open it safely. This isn't a bar. We're talking about second graders. I had 39 sixth graders one year in my class. I double dog dare Donald Trump to sit in a class of 39 sixth graders and breathe that air without uh, any preparation for how we're going to bring our kids back safely. Nobody said no preparation. Why are you talking in extremes? This is the type of idiot comments that drive me nuts. There's always going to be precautions. There's, there's precautions in Target. Why wouldn't they be in your school? You've had five months to put arrows on the ground, five months to space out lockers. You've had five months to work out size of classrooms, five months to spread out desks, five months to rebalance uh, class size. And I thought uh, Trump or me or you would all walk into a sixth grade class. You take pre- precautions, you keep proper space, think about how you're going to do it, you work with your principals and supervisors, and it happens. Or you knuckle under and just don't do anything and watch the the the, uh, the country's intellect drop through the toilet, and nobody gets back to normalcy. Is that what you guys want? Brian, listen on WRCN on Long Island. Brian. Hey, Brian. So I got three quick points all on topic. So first, you brought up Ilhan Omar. Um, my kids... One in four right now will never know their grandfather. He was a NY, uh, NYPD, uh, I'm sorry, FDMY uh, captain, and, and he perished after 9-11, and they'll never know him. And, and that woman can sit there and say, some people did something with no remorse. Oh, yeah. And she just she disgusts me. Second, on Biden, so he needs the panda right now, and he needs to give the black community, or at least he feels he needs to, because he made such a racially motivated comment to sit there and say that you are not your color, you're not your heritage, or or you're not because if you don't vote for me, I mean, it, the condescension. If you, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black is what you're referring it's to. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I think that, that the people, those people feel that. And, and, and I've heard it through, throughout the community. And, and third, to, to the COVID point. So if you die and upon the time of death, this is the government distinction for, for a COVID death. If you die and, and on, on, when, when you're determined dead, they test you and you test positive for COVID, it does not matter how you die. They, they write it up as a COVID death, and that's the government standard for, for, for COVID death. So it's inflating numbers, and it's creating a, a, a scare throughout our, our country that, that, I mean, think about it. The, the, number, the rate already, we know, is very, very low, and they're adding all these other deaths deaths that aren't really COVID deaths. You know, I've heard that anecdotally. I have not heard that directly, but I will say this. The numbers are going up in Texas, Arizona, and Florida. And because we're taking all patients now, we first we cleared off the ICUs and we said, okay, only COVID. And when it didn't fill up and these, these, these hospitals were going belly up, they said, okay, let's go back to non-elective surgeries. Let's go get people in that need surgeries. And now the numbers are going up. And we're running out of room in Houston and in Tampa and in now in Miami. So we have to steady the ship. They're going to just ban indoor dining in California. I think they'll end up uh, forgetting about bars in Florida, which is going to hurt big business. Uh, thanks, Brian. Great call. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton and Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Joel, listening in Michigan. Joel. If, if for instance, um, Trump should name Camilla Harris as the VP, yeah. if I was running Trump's campaign, I wouldn't have him running against um, Biden-Harris. I would label it Harris-Biden. Put Biden at the bottom of the ticket. I think that would speak volumes because everybody knows that's who we're going to get. Just my thought. No, you're, you're 100% right. I'm not sure that works. I think you want to emphasize who's in charge. I think you want to emphasize that he's 77. He has really no agenda. And his agenda, which is jammed down his throat from Bernie Sanders and Elon Omar, is not going to be palatable to the majority of people. And if Trump, the Trump team is effective, beginning Saturday in, in New Hampshire, smart, open air, smart. Beginning Saturday, they will start talking about that. I think to go and point to a competent VP will give people a sense that they're going to be all right. I want to give them the true sense that they're not. Because they won't be. It's a stark difference. I preferred Bush over Kerry. I preferred Bush over Gore. I I preferred Romney over Obama. But each time, the separation between the parties grew and grew and grew. This is the Grand Canyon. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's certainly little doubt that some of the Black Lives Matter movement is unorganized and that there's some in that movement who uh, may be sprouting a certain set of messages that I don't agree with and I don't think are productive, like tearing down monuments of Christopher Columbus and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and even Thomas Jefferson and most recently Frederick Douglass. I think a lot of that is misguided. Uh, I do think taking down Confederate statues is something we should do. But that's not the focus, in my mind, of what this, of what this effort should be about. Uh, that is Harold Ford yesterday, a Democrat from Tennessee, now living in New York, hopefully be the next mayor here. Uh, I want to bring in now from the Wall Street Journal, Bill Galston. He writes once, at least once a week. Uh, his editorial kind of uh, hit home with me. It's, uh, the headline is Politics and Ideas for Reformers, Dissent is Patriotic. Uh, Bill, welcome uh, to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pleasure to be here. Well, uh, first off, are you concerned about the disdain so many Americans are, are seen to be showing for our, our nation's past? Well, uh, I would say that that disdain is confined to a relatively few people on the margins. I don't think it's the mainstream view at all. When um, when you see all these statues coming down, I mean, there are dozens of these statues coming down uh, from Columbus to Lincoln to Grant uh, to Confederate statues to officers to Robert E. Lee to Robert, you know, Robert E. Lee's name coming off William and Lee uh, uh, University. You're seeing um, uh, American Indian names coming off jerseys and teams. It seems to happen like uh, one it gaining momentum. Do you think that's part of the fabric of our nation or is it something that that you think is alarming? Well, I will say this, that uh, peaceful dissent is part, is part of the fabric of our national history and has been from the very beginning. 
uh, I am I am in favor of following the rule of law to determine whether names uh, whether names of uh, of military bases should be retained or, or changed. Uh, where there are legal processes in states and localities for determining whether statues should remain or go, or new ones should be erected, I'm all in favor of following those. Uh, but there is a legitimate argument about public names and public statues because to name a base after someone or to build a statue uh bearing someone's likeness, is to honor that person. And it is to declare publicly that public values require honoring that person. And there is room for legitimate debate as to whether people who were honored a century ago are really worthy of that honor. And I support the right of dissenters and protesters to raise that question. Supreme Court decision, dread, uh, the Dred Scott decision, was dreadful. Uh, you write, uh, Abraham Lincoln argued that the Declaration of Independence represented an aspiration, not a social reality. In words that should, you say, be engraved on every American's heart, Lincoln said that the men who drafted the Declaration, quote, meant to set up a standard maximum for free society, which would, should be familiar to all and revered by all, constantly looking to, constantly laboring for, and even though never perfectly attained, constantly approximated and, theref- and thereby constantly spreading and deepening its influence and augmenting the happiness and value of life to all people of all colors everywhere. So he said the Declaration of Independence gave us the framework, live up to it, right? Exactly. Another example, and, go ahead. And, and, you know, and my point in writing this piece was really Lincoln's point, and that is that from the from the beginning of the Republic, there has been a struggle to make the principles of the Declaration of Independence real in our laws and in our lives. Uh, that's what he meant when he called the principles of the Declaration a standard maxim, that is to say, a norm, an aspiration. Uh, a ruler against which we could measure our reality. And and Lincoln was very clear in that statement uh, that the process of reform is ongoing and probably never ending. He he talked about, you know, closer approximation to the ideal without ever necessarily attaining it, which means that there is always room for progress, always room for legitimate dissent. So you bring us to Frederick Douglass, and everyone wants to point to uh, Frederick Douglass's uh, speech on the 4th of July and the statue mysteriously taken down uh, by very confused individuals who, uh, he was born in Rochester, they put up a statue a few years ago, they ripped it down. What the hell? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, he's exactly the firebrand um, American success story that we want to build on. And you said, you know, here he is, born a slave, he escaped for eight years, he lives as a fugitive, no one, if he's ever captured, he goes back to that horrible labor camp, which is uh, unimaginable type lifestyle, while becoming, by, by suddenly becoming, soon becoming, one of the most famous men in the world. He goes on a book tour when he writes his story, and he becomes lauded and, and well-known in Europe, and then comes back here 
at a time and with uh, at a time in which we are in the middle of a tumultuous time in our history. But he's an escaped slave who is making America better. And you write that Douglas should want, should have wanted to leave. Get out of here. They had me as a slave. I don't even know who my parents are. I'm trying to make a living here. There are people every time I try to make a speech that are harassing me. But instead, he doesn't want to leave. He wants to make a, America better. And he gradually learns to understand that it's not the Constitution that's flawed. It's us that are not living up to the Constitution. What does that say about somebody living in 1852, eight full years before the Civil War, as a black man? Uh, it's one of the most remarkable stories in all of American history. But I extend that. Uh, I think it's remarkable uh, that most African Americans uh, continue to hope for full inclusion in a nation that, you know, to, you know, to be honest, has never fully included African Americans in the promise of American life. Uh, there have always been back-to-Africa movements. There have always been nationalist movements, but they have never become the majority sentiment within the African American community. Most African Americans have followed in the path of Frederick Douglass. Intense criticism of the country, coupled with unending hope uh, that the country would eventually respond to that criticism and live up to its founding ideals. And it is a testament both to the faith of the African-American community and to the strength of those ideals uh, that uh, they, are, they are invoked uh, now a hundred and sixty years or more after uh, you know after uh, these problems were allegedly overcome in the law and the constitution. William Galston, our guest, he uh, wrote a great column editorial in the Wall Street Journal. So, Bill, I, I love that you quoted, and we play this cut all the time on our show. Bill Clinton has said, "There's nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America." I think a lot of people feel. And anyone who went to a cookout or a celebration on July 4th, you know, it got around to politics at some point. That a lot of the unrest is not let's make America better, but I don't like this place and I'm going to create as much havoc as possible. I think there's a lack of understanding or statements that say let's make America better instead of let's tear it down. Let's focus on 1619, not 1776. Is that fair? Uh Let me repeat what I said at the beginning. There are voices making those arguments. I'd be the last person to deny that. They are not the voices of the majority of people who are or were in the streets protesting police mistreatment of African Americans. And if you look at the response, the response is legislative. Let's pass new laws, change old laws, uh, so that the behavior of the police and the criminal justice system as a whole more closely approximate the ideals uh, that we we think are appropriate for them. Uh, And so I understand the sentiments of people at the 4th of July cookouts, but I I would ask them, 
to distinguish between the loudest voices on the one hand and the majority on the other. And I think I think if they open themselves to that distinction, they may uh, come to a fuller understanding of why people who were protesting police misconduct uh, were doing so. And by the way, every survey I've seen suggests that strong majorities of Americans support most of the reform agenda that the protesters were on the streets demanding. So I, I, you know, I, I think let's keep our eye on the ball here. Let's keep our eye on what unites us as Americans rather than the voices of division. Well, I know you can. I know I can. But I don't know if I can control the masses. Now, let me bring this up. I think African-Americans have the hardest time in America, no doubt about it. But I also think that the majority of people listening to me right now, whether they're white, black, or Hispanic, or Asian, don't have anything against a group. They get up every day wondering, you know, who their boss is. They don't say, is it a woman, is he Hispanic, or is, or is she black? They say, well, you know, let me try to make get ahead. Let me try to get my kid to the best college possible. They don't walk around saying, I'm better than uh, that person because of the color of their skin. I just don't think that's the case. But I also could go back and say, when the Irish first got here, even Frederick Douglass writes about it, Booker T. Washington writes about it, the Irish were looked at as the lowest rung on the ladder. If I talk to the Italian community, they say, you don't know what it was like there. We were second-class citizens. That's why we really formed the mob. You know, um, I, I could go back, and of course, women waited up to uh, only 100 years ago, didn't even have the right to vote. I think every segment gender group has a complaint but the question is how do you clear that hurdle and become and reach your potential make the country better at the same time i agree with you only one group could say they were enslaved but don't you also look around and saying barack obama is the most popular politician in the country michael jordan is the most famous athlete in the world before that it was muhammad ali uh, a huge legend was Louis Armstrong. When, his, when he died, he had his funeral on national television. Martin Luther King has got statues and days off. Um, I, I mean, do you also see that a lot of America is colorblind and just sees greatness? Of course I see that. And it seems to me that as citizens of a large, diverse, complex, and contradictory society. We ought to be able to keep competing thoughts in our heads at the same time. That list of names that you just reeled yep. off is absolutely accurate. Uh, and, and it stands for something real in the experience of the past two generations. Uh, what we saw on that eight minute and 46 second video is also absolutely accurate. And it corresponds to the experience of tens of millions of our fellow citizens. I, you know, I was uh, tuned in to the Senate hearing uh, the day that Tim Scott introduced his police reform bill. And Lindsey Graham, uh, the chairman of the committee, the Judiciary Committee, said there's something wrong when Tim Scott is stopped He's an African-American senator from South Carolina. Is stopped seven times by Capitol Hill police in the space of a year when I've never been stopped in all of my years as a senator. That's just about, that's just about a direct quote from Lindsey Graham. So that's part of the reality, too. 
And I don't want to live. I don't want to live in a country where every African American parent has to give their teenage children, especially their sons, the talk with a capital T uh, about how to behave when you're stopped by police to minimize the risks that something really terrible will happen to you. So it's all part of this complex reality that we're wrestling with. And what I reject is the conclusion that some draw from the list of names that you just reeled off, that that is that we've solved the problem and there's nothing left except unjustified complaints. Hear you. I hear you on that. And also, don't you think in life, Bill, uh, I, I, I've seen you before, you know, you're a white guy. Uh, in America, writing for a prestigious newspaper. But I'm sure if I went back in your life, not, not your path wasn't paved with gold. No one gave you that job. You had to go and earn it. And no one, my listeners are driving around right now, our listeners are driving around right now, and they're saying, you know, I lost a parent at a young age, or I'm, uh, I had to overcome alcoholism or in my family or with domestic abuse. Just because of the color of your skin doesn't mean you have hurdles. Everyone's got hurdles. Some are higher than others. Fundamentally, I think we got to get tougher as a country to clear those hurdles rather than complain about them. Final thought. Uh, well, if there hadn't been complaints, uh, we never would have had uh, – the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Uh, and so I think we have to keep two thoughts in mind at the same time. Okay. Thought number one, mm-hmm. the framework of opportunity should be equal for all. Step number two, when opportunity is equal, it's the responsibility of every individual to seize it. Those aren't competing thoughts. Those are part of one larger thought, which gotcha. I think is the essence of America. Bill, thanks so much. You helped, uh, helped the show a lot. Your column was great. Appreciate your perspective. Thanks, Brian. Call's next. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Before we... um. Um, that was really nice of Bill Galston to call a little bit of a different perspective. And of course, I pre- uh, appreciate all you guys. Let me take a couple of calls. Ken, listen, WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Ken, you're a teacher. Uh, yeah, Brian. And how do you I, feel uh, about going back to school? Actually, I feel, uh, that we need to, um, we need to educate our children. And, um, I, w- I was a little disappointed. Um, we went from, uh, one model, you know, brick and mortar uh, classroom, and of course, you know, uh, we had to go virtual. And go and it's a whole new skill. It's a lot of pressure on the parents, a lot of pressure on the teachers, a lot of pressure on the students. It's a lose, lose, lose. Exactly, and without you know, everybody can agree that with proper preparation, uh, you know, education with you know smaller class sizes, you know, is effective. 
um, and it would be effective whether it's virtual or in the brick and mortar. I think a lot of teachers are scared um, because that preparation is not uh, being provided by the district. Wow. Uh, Thanks so much. It would help uh, to get a lot of direction. We've had five, six months to get ready. Be ready. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. We are awaiting a Supreme Court decision. We've had a lot of them come down of late. Little Sisters of the Poor don't have to take, uh, don't have to provide uh, money for contraceptive devices. That's a relief. And also, we'll find out about Donald Trump's taxes, if he has to release them, if the banks have to release them. Uh, I know. It's the ongoing story that has not gone away for probably five years, because the president says, here's my financials, but that's as much as you'll get. He says it's too complicated. At the bottom of the hour, Dr. Scott Atlas is here, senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institute. We want to find out about the rise in cases and what we should be concerned about in Texas, Arizona, as well as Florida and California. While nothing to worry about for now in Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, Connecticut and New Jersey, as well as Ohio, just to name some off the top of my head, and to also show off just a little bit. Uh, keep in mind, too, as we wait for that decision, we'll break in, and Chris Wallace is just getting out in the shower. I'm buying a little bit of time, so I'll go through the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We are seeing a serious surge in cases. It's a serious health care situation, but it's a very different situation than what we saw a couple of months ago, say, in New York. The average age of individuals testing positive is decades younger than what we've been used to. Uh, that is Alex Azar. Coronavirus cases rising uh, across the country. Not all across, but in some sections. How do we stop the spread like we did in the Northeast while opening up schools and sports? Number two. We need a police force. We need these institutions to provide peace and security in society, to allow our lives to flourish. We need to support the police so they're out there protecting the community. But by the same time, we have to be sure that there aren't these abuses. Uh, And that, of course, is Bill Barr policing. Is America sobering up to the reality that officers aren't all bad? In fact, we need them. In Minneapolis, the answer is yes. In Seattle, the chop zone, a disaster. Chaos in New York gets rebuked uh, by the governor of New York, who does nothing but just ask himself questions. Are we at the brink of cell destruction and are we calling ourselves off that cliff? Number one. And I think the compromise that uh, they came up with, if implemented, will make Biden the most progressive president uh, since FDR. Okay, there goes that moderate label. Bernie Sanders uh, basically giving a verbal high five to Joe Biden. Now, the hard part. Can a 77-year-old known as a moderate remake himself as a Bernie bro? Will anyone buy it? Plus, the squad is back with their radical left-wing agenda, and they're demanding Joe Biden buy in. But first... 
Now it's time to clear the airwaves for the Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. Mr. Sunday, the receptive voice, the king. Author of the new book, Countdown 19... Countdown 1945. It will drop on June 9th. Chris, you're such an asset to the show, and I'm glad to see it's really helping your career. Did I mention Countdown 1945? Got it. I see this as a feature-length movie. I am serious. This is a great story. This is going to be great, and I look forward to talking to you for the next five months about it. Every week we are going to talk about Countdown. You know, this is going to be a countdown to the countdown. I like it. Tell tell your people to put that on the uh, promo next week. The official Brian Kilmeade Show countdown to the countdown ended on June 9th. Countdown 1945, now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Chris, how about that? You know, every time I listen to that, I, I enjoyed. You know what I really enjoyed that you guys brought in a string section. I mean, like, did you get the entire <laughs> string section of the New New York Philharmonic? I mean, that's got to be cost a lot to. You know, that's like twenty violins there. Well, you know what? Um, I think that our team. I have a uh, probably thirty five to forty five people full time. Give them dental. Uh, I'm, I have four hundred one k. Working just in your tape. And then I, if you, I say, guys, if you have some time, I need some other sound bites from some other areas. <laughs> and they say, Brian, I'm sorry, we're working on the tape. Right. And, and you know, and, and they had to take violin lessons. I mean, it's extraordinary. <laughs> ah, it is true. But so, and plus, it's social distancing. It makes it harder and more difficult. Yeah, so, that's right. So, Chris, uh, we're waiting. By the way, how's the book doing? Uh, fourth week on the bestseller list. And I just today, you know, you should. I don't know whether it should, you, it should tickle me as much as it does, but I got a really good, positive review in the New York Times. Nice. And, you know, that's it's kind of a – whatever you think of the front page of the New York Times, as you well know, uh, it, you know, the book, the book section of the Times is kind of the holy grail. So you get on the bestseller list there. You get a good review there. It's, it's pretty good. Yep, fantastic. Uh, so, Chris, let's talk about this decision about to come down about whether Donald Trump has to release his taxes or not to this House committee. So, uh, how big a deal is this? Well, you know, it, obviously, we're all focusing on it today. And if they say he has to release them, it'll be uh, a defeat for Donald Trump. If they say he doesn't have to release them, it'll be a victory. In the end, I don't know. I mean, unless there's something horribly damaging. In in the taxes, I I, I I don't think it matters that much. I, I mean, know. doesn't it feel like it? Like we're talking about 2015. I mean, we got coronavirus, we got the pand, uh, we got the economic fallout, we got defunding police. Uh, I mean, unless you know, we, we find out that he's done something really uh, bad. Um, I just think it comes and goes, and nobody's going to care a lot one way or the other. Chris, but uh, it'll be it'll be a big story today, right? So, and by the way, uh, the Bolton book, for example. Oh, well, this is going to be huge. You were the first one to say of prominence. I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, it's going to be released in June. They got to be some some things in there, and I'm surprised because John Bolton released some things that damage our relationship with both uh, South Korea and Venezuela because he talked about what Trump said behind closed doors about Maduro and. Uh, and the uh, the other Guido. guy, uh, Guaido, who reminds him of Beto O'Rourke. And I said, great, thanks. So it's like if you and I are talking about Brett Bear, and uh, and I tell you, you know what, that Brett Bear, X, Y, and Z. I don't think we need to continue this conversation. Right. So we, me and like you are having a casual conversation, and I just put it in a book, what you tell me. And you go, thanks. It doesn't really you know, help. Particularly since I'd say what a terrific journalist he is and what a great guy. 
Yeah, people would say, oh, okay, that's nice. Well, that would be good. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. Yeah, I you just would. want to make it very clear. I know. So, uh, but, but I agree with you. I will say this, however. As somebody who's been following uh, how many books are being sold each week in a way that I normally wouldn't, John Bolton sold a hell of a lot of books. Okay, good luck with that. You know what? Uh, I, it's his one shot. Or there, you're going to come back with 1946 and 47 and 48. Well, he can't. Yeah, that's right. We're just going to do it every year. <laughs> and we've got to do 40, 47. I was born. So that countdown 1947, which, which ends with, with my birth. It's, it's going to be a very exciting book. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, in the Birth Canal with Chris Wallace. So, oh, my God. So, Chris, can I talk about politics? Tell me if you've ever seen this yes, number sir. before. 33% of Biden voters said they would vote for him because of him. 67% said they would vote for him because he's, it's a vote against Donald Trump. I've never seen that. So let's say those numbers are true. How do you game plan for that if you're Trump? What do you do? Because you have a guy that is just a placeholder who's not you. So how do you no, win a, that? It's a referendum on Donald Trump. That's really what it's saying. You know, it's either you're voting for Trump or you're voting against Trump, and it really has nothing to do with Biden. And what and what Trump needs to do, uh, and this is no great insight, is he needs to choose. Uh, he has to turn it from a referendum to a race, a choice. You know, it's not Trump, yes or no. It's Trump versus Biden. And here's where Biden will take the country. And here's, you know, and he certainly has raised the question of Biden's mental competence. And he's got to, that's what he's got to be able to do. He's got to make it not a referendum on him, but a choice between the two. Yeah. So let's see. Let's see if he could do that. What he's got to do is close the gap in the polls to make Biden come out. And the more Biden talks, the more trouble he gets in. Here's an example. This is not an exchange. This is reading off the prompter. Cut to Lonnie knows. I believe this every fiber of my being. We're posed. I, what I propose is, is it can be done. I think we're in a position to, to really make it happen. And my team and your team are already working closely together in light, to light up the path forward here. Critical laws like the PRO Act to strengthen collective bargaining. On politics like prevailing and, pro- look, I guess I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm t- taking too much time, but, you know. Well, if you're moderating, you're going to be moderating one of the debates. Do you say, you well, don't we, know that, but, you but let me say, it's not exactly ask not what you can do for your country. <laughs> <laughs> so will you, I, let me ask this, Chris, would you, if you're debating something and, and he gives an answer and it makes no sense, as a moderator, do you say, would you clarify that, sir? Or do you say, Donald Trump, uh, what, what, what's you know, your, your turn? Do you, if he does meander and doesn't make any sense to you as a moderator? Well, let's, again, let's make it clear. I don't know that I'm doing a debate. I would certainly love to do one. It's, you know, one of the it's really, uh, it's one of the challenging things as a, as a, as a journalist. And I loved doing it last time. The answer is, and I, I really believe this deeply. If you're going to be a moderator, the, you, your aim should be at the end of the debate. People say that was a great debate. Was there even a moderator there? It's like a prize fight. Yeah. You want to be invisible. So, you know, in a situation, either way, you know, I just uh, I would say, Mr. President, what do you think? And, and it, it's not my job to, to, uh, to find fault or, or to question. I mean, yes, obviously there are certain points where you break it like a referee in a prize fight. You, uh, you break up the clinches where they're just sort of stymied to a halt. And, 
and, and let them start the fight over again. But but uh, it's not about you. It's about the, the, the two candidates. And if either way, if one seems to be getting himself in trouble, it's up to the other one to call him on. So this just in. Uh, could you want to highlight that? Uh, because it kind of blanked out. Uh, the Supreme Court has ruled the Manhattan's district attorney can obtain Donald Trump's tax returns. Wow. Wow. I always thought that, 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 the, that the DA had a better shot at it than Congress. I don't know whether Congress can, but it just struck me that, you know, the question isn't, did he do something wrong? I mean, the question is, should the president be above the law? In other words, if if a, a DA can obtain your tax returns or my tax returns, why shouldn't he be able to obtain the president's tax returns? That always struck me as 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 the challenge for the president in that. I don't know. We'll see whether it happens with Congress, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> the question is going to be, from the point that, that uh, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan DA, gets his uh, tax returns, how quickly do you think that ends up on the front page of The New York Times? Possibly. I mean, I guess what you do is you go to his accounting firm, correct? Right. And you get it directly right. from that. And now let me ask him, does it matter? And I got to reframe this because it was two and a half years ago, I think, two years ago. Why do you need his tax returns? I mean, it looks like a pure political play, even that you're requesting it. I, you know, honestly, I haven't followed it that closely. As you say, it was two years ago. Does it have something to do with the whole question of campaign finance? Uh, or campaign gifts, and you know, is this tie in to the hush money that was given to uh, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal? I'm not, I'm not sure, right? but there was a, a predicate. It, it, it's not just. I mean, I know the president's going to say it's a fishing expedition, but there was some legal basis for why they needed it, and you know, uh, obviously, the court was satisfied that uh, that the. Uh, do we know what the vote was? Was it a straight five four, or was it? Uh, do we know what the vote was, uh, Eric? Or uh, yeah, tell him to stop playing the violin divided. and find out. What it was divided. Is this John Roberts again? Who, oh, really? I mean, was it? I'm just very curious. I mean, Five four. Yeah. This is breaking news. Folks. No count this is very yet. Exciting. Yeah, and what we normally do if we don't get the count in, we'll make it up, and then we'll always apologize <laughs> the next day. <laughs> exactly. You might want to practice that. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I, well, I'm, what do you mean practice? I've done that, too. So, you Chris, know, it's, cl- it's close enough. 6-3, What's the difference? So everyone watch Fox News Sunday. We know that. Quick question. It's only 90 <laughs> yes, seconds. There's gonna, this is going to be the hot story, and you had him on a short time ago, Hawk Newsom. I think there's, a, there's a, going to be a choice, and people should understand that, between supporting racial justice and Black Lives Matter. And I think people start have to stop wearing the T-shirts without doing their research and I think that there's a, there's going to be a dissemination there. Now, maybe tax returns swamps your show this week, but you did a great job with Hawk Newsom. I think he's a very intelligent guy. He's evidently a college grad with a law degree. But, law degree, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying that I think that that's another hot issue that needs to be examined. They're painting Black Lives Matter as if it's the words racial justice. Well, and, and it's not. It's an organization. Just- is crazy is they're going to paint Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue Nuts. right in front of the Trump Tower and Mayor de Blasio. You know, he's got a few problems with, with, with policing, to fund police, with, with the, the explosion of violence in the city. Uh, and he's going to actually go and, and get a paintbrush and do some of the painting himself. 
Uh, you know, those are all big issues. Another big issue is the, the push not to reopen schools in, in the middle yep. of the spike. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it used to be pre-Trump. <laughs> what do we f- focus on this week? For now, in, in these days, it's what are we not going to focus on this week because we can't cover it all in uh, in one hour. But, yes, it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, and lastly, I'll, I'll end this. It's 7-2 decision. The Supreme Court decided to expose Donald Trump's sa- uh, taxes with a 7-2 decision. So that means some of the conservatives voted yeah. to, to, to do that because there are four hard conservatives. Right. You know, it would be really interesting. I'll bet at least one of the Trump appointees, Gorsuch or Kavanaugh, voted it. So we'll see. He is uh, Chris Wallace. He's a best-selling author. And uh, his birthday was 1947. Thanks, Chris. We've made a lot of progress. <laughs> We've got a lot done today. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment, sir. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Uh, We're just getting the decision, Supreme Court decision. It says the President of the United States cannot be shielded from a request on his uh, financial records and his taxes. So that's gone against the President. But if people, I'm reading about the procedures there, they say that his taxes probably will not be released until after he leaves office or after the election. Uh, Eric, listening in Orlando. Hey, Eric. As usual, you're right on spot. Um, I'd like to see Joe Biden's records since the way it's gone down, since everybody's showing their records that runs for president. Um, Hillary Clinton, I, she says she she uh, released hers. You can't find them. I mean, so Joe Biden, let's see his taxes because that'd be that'd be amazing to see. Well, I think he will. Um, he will show his taxes. Uh, then we'll have the accuracy. Eric, you want? I want to get you a book. What book do you want? Oh, my God. Well, I, my granddaughter is three. She loves Pop-Up to read to her at night. Whatever you think. I know you have your youth books coming out now. All right, you, so, yeah. You pick, sir. I'm going to give you uh, George Washington Spies. I think I think. Uh, oh, my God. Little, she's a little Perfect. young for it, but we'll mail it out to you. So, uh, Pete, stay on. Pete's going to get your number. Uh, get your address, and we'll we'll send it out to you. Uh, let's go. Do we have enough time? Steve, listen WPTF in Raleigh. Steve. Yes, sir. How are you doing this morning? Good. What's on your mind? Yesterday, uh, the topic was brought up about the shooting in Atlanta, and I don't remember the gentleman that was talking, but he said that he would have let the police officer the run, yeah, run away to catch him, you know, at a later date. I'm 43. I got eight kids. I just graduated law enforcement school on the 22nd of last month. And we went through that scenario. And every time you approach anybody at any form of a traffic stop, you have to go off what a reasonable person would do. So when the gentleman decided to have a conversation with the police officer and took his taser off of his duty belt, that person is no longer reasonably thinking. And they'll probably try the same way. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. A lot of the new cases that are occurring are occurring in younger people. That's good. It's very good in the sense that younger people are less likely to get serious illness or die from this. But younger people interact with older people. 95 million Americans are in what we call a uh, vulnerable group, either older or have underlying conditions. Uh, so that is uh, Tom Inglesby, a doctor, talking about the corona cases spreading throughout the uh, portions of the country. Dr. Scott Atlas joins us now, senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institute, very respected, great communicator. Dr. Atlas, welcome back. Sure. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Atlas, we, we hear about the ICUs uh, getting extremely crowded in places like Miami and Houston, Texas, uh, and they're getting worried in California. Do they have a right to be? Well, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're concerned. Everyone's concerned about what's going on. And I think uh, no one is saying we shouldn't be watching this. But we have to be, uh, we don't have to panic. We have to actually look at exactly who's getting sick and what the, what the data is. Because, yes, there are a few hospitals that seem to be getting crowded. But actually, I'm looking right now at the data from Texas. Yeah. And when you look at the specific population of who's in the hospital, even in Houston, in the, in the area, in the hospital area, that is assigned that includes Houston, we look and only about 10 to 15 percent of the occupied beds in the hospital are COVID patients. So if you have 15 percent, in some places 20 percent maximum, but basically 15 percent of inpatient beds that are occupied are COVID, that means 80, 85 percent are non-COVID patients. So I, I think there's sort of a rush to judgment. Again, people panic whenever they see any kind of headline. There is no real hospital overcrowding going on in the vast majority of the country. Uh, and, and actually, there never was outside of New York. And okay, there there is some concern. We have to watch it. But the key here is it's not about the number of cases. It's about the sequela of the cases, the consequences. And we see now that those people who are getting the cases are younger, average age of something like in the 30s as opposed to in the 60s. These people don't generally have a problem with the illness. And even the hospitalized patients are getting out much faster. The outcomes are much better. And we see uh, just a lot less of the severe consequences. Now, I do want to make one point, and that is just common sense. We, we're worried, and we don't want to see this rapid ramp-up of deaths, and that's because, uh, obviously, that's avoided by trying to protect the people who are high risk. But when you have any viral infection with a fatality rate greater than zero, then obvious math says that if you have a lot of cases, you're not going to have zero more deaths because it, you know, there's a fatality rate. It's not zero. But that's not the point here. If we see a slight ramp up, okay, we're trying to stop that. But what we want to avoid is this super quick ramp up like we saw in the beginning, in the peak of this, of the deaths. And so far, there's no indication that we're getting that. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Atlas about this. Here's what Anthony Fauci said yesterday. He says, this is the problem. Cut 27. You know, it gets frustrating because uh, not to name any states, but some states admittedly opened up 
too early and too quickly. So that was something that probably should not have happened that led to this. Do you think that's correct? No. Uh, I hate to be so blunt, but uh, I think people need clarity here. It is true that some states opened up faster than others, and none of those states are wide open. Don't forget, none of those states have zero guidelines about social distancing. But when we look at the states that were criticized for rapid opening, and let's look at Georgia as an example, because Georgia was the first one where the, the, the governor was accused of potentially murdering hundreds of thousands or thousands of people. We look at the data, and it's already been months the case increases are not even correlated to that. The case increases that did occur in Georgia never have, there's no ramp up in deaths. We're talking about months already have gone by. The same thing when we look at Florida and Texas. What's happened is that the my point here is that the gradual slight openings are not even necessarily time-wise correlated to the increased cases. The cases do occur when there's more social mingling. The cases occur and are more detectable when we do more testing, of course. But what correlates is not really the gradual partial opening, but more likely the large protest marches. Now, be that as it may, uh, we still have to deal with the cases, so really that's the point. But when we look at uh, California, they didn't, gra- they didn't open hard. I live in California in one of the most locked-down counties there are, Santa Clara County. First of all, the cases are going up all over California, mainly in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has a strict lockdown sort of policy. They didn't, they didn't start opening like crazy. What happened? Well, they had a lot of protest marches in Los Angeles. I mean, and that actually correlates to the timing of the cases. So to claim that it's this slight reopening where there were people sitting six feet apart in outdoor cafes or occasionally going to a barber. I think that's a little bit disingenuous or just simply wrong. Now, we still have to, like I say, deal with the cases. And so uh, we have to deal with the cases only that we have to make sure that people aren't dying and, of course, overcrowding the hospitals. That's the focus. And so what, what we need to do is keep track of these things, not panic, and make sure that certain things are, are in place. I think it's it's good policy to uh, make sure that the people who are high risk uh, are, are very aware of what's going on, and they have to social distance, and we have to use hygiene and be careful when we interact with people. But when younger, healthier people get the disease, they don't have a problem with the disease. I'm not sure why that's so difficult for everyone to acknowledge since the data is in from all over the world on this. And so these people getting the infection is not really a problem. And in fact, as, as we said months ago, when you isolate everyone, including all the healthy people, you're prolonging the problem because you're preventing population immunity. Low-risk groups getting the infection is not a problem. In fact, it's a, it's a positive in terms of finally acquiring enough immunity in the population to stop the spread of the disease, the connectivity pathways to the high-risk people. Do masks work? Well, you know, this is, uh, I know this is sort of a hot topic, uh, obviously, but, you know, the, the data is, is unclear on masks. And uh, no matter what you read, uh, people are very emotionally involved in discussions, but they're not really looking at the science. It's not just the bottom line of a paper. You look at the paper, and what you see in the data on mask studies is 
the vast majority of the studies are deeply flawed. I mean, they're, they're what I would call in my limited vocabulary garbage. And so even <laughs> if they're published, I mean, we've seen this with hydroxychloroquine studies um, uh, that, that were so bad they had to be retracted, claiming that the drug didn't work. The studies never proved the drug didn't work, and we have data to the contrary now. So let's see what happens. But the mask data is the following, and actually, no matter what you think about the World Health Organization, in terms of its politics, the regular uh, science people in the WHO are, are, are good, and what they say is rational. And what they say, and they continue to say, despite a tremendous amount of pressure, is that the studies on general widespread use among the public using masks are not are not, uh, there's no evidence for that, and therefore the WHO, quote, does not recommend math for widespread use among the public. They only, and this is totally rational, they only recommend masks for people who are high risk and not able to socially distance themselves, okay? That's different from saying everyone's got to wear a mask all over the place. That's just... Honestly, I live in a place where people are outside riding their bikes, jogging, driving their cars alone, wearing masks. This is absurd, uh, although I'm not making fun of it because people are afraid. But I just want to say that, you know, it's reasonable to wear masks when you cannot socially distance. If you think someone's going to cough on you, you, you might want to wear a mask. And what, what does that mean? That means that uh, if you're in a, in a crowded subway in Manhattan, okay, I, and that's, that's reasonable. I mean, that, that's fine. But particularly if you're high risk, you, you should be very cautious. The disease is very bad for high risk people. But by, I just want to mention one more thing. I'm sorry to just keep going on. The WHO for social distancing, just to point out the, the, the level of science behind some of these recommendations, the WHO recommends one meter, three feet. Mo many countries use three feet. They, have, they don't have a problem with the disease. They use three feet. It's not to, I'm not saying three feet's correct. What I'm pointing out is the arbitrariness of saying, oh, my God, six feet must be six yeah. feet. These numbers are very poorly documented. The science is, is very weak on this stuff. Dr. Alice, here's and, – and by the way, most people I know, we, we all sat there. I was the one who asked the Surgeon General the question about masks. He says they don't work, don't use them. Here's what Dr. Fauci said. We have to admit it, that that mixed message in the beginning, even though it was well meant to allow masks to be available for health workers, that was detrimental in getting the message across right now. No doubt about it. They lost credibility. But, and don't lie to us for another reason. If you told me they well, were going to a nurse or a doctor, there's not one clear-thinking American that would have used them because it would have been ridiculed by everybody in the street. Well... I, I actually, again, I, I you know, I, with all due respect to that comment and to Dr. Fauci, I, I just don't agree that that's the reason the statement was made. The reason the statement was made was not some sort of, I, I disagree with the idea that it was some sort of lie to prevent masks from being used. The science is weak on masks. And the reason the science is weak on masks is that the science does not talk about the infectious contagiousness. The science is particle studies. I'll give you an example, okay? This is sort of, again, like a little bit esoteric, but 
that one of the main studies was two hamsters in cages, one wearing a mask using droplets that were projected by a fan running and the mask hamster got less stuff and less output with, with the mask. Okay, we're not, that's a false model. That's, that's not, no one's saying that you a physical barrier... I mean, you know, we're not in cages with a fan shoving stuff, liquid droplets through the through the air. I mean, that's that's one sort of study. It's fine, but it, it really doesn't have to do with the effectiveness of a mask in preventing contagiousness. By the way, Brian, tens of millions of Americans have the infection. Okay, this is widespread. Even the CDC said that the other day. And so, uh, you know, this is an infection that, as the president correctly said, 98, 99 percent of infected people recover from the illness. This is a correct statement, by the way. Low-risk people have no significant risk from this infection. To claim that we should somehow keep all people either confined or wearing masks at all times is really anti-science and, and anti-logic. They're about to do that in Los Angeles. They're considering another lockout, which is, in, which is nuts. And when it comes to getting us ready for school, we have to do everything necessary to make sure we go to school in the fall. Here's the former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, Cut 35. Trump has been just catastrophic in his leadership and has made himself totally irrelevant in this conversation because of what the federal government hasn't done. Um, everybody, everybody, every educator, every parent, myself as a parent, we all want our kids to go back to school. But we can only do that if it's safe to do so. And we as a nation simply have failed to do the things that would make our schools and our communities safer. You agree with that? It couldn't be more wrong, and it's an obviously highly politicized statement. And people that don't know the data, you know, I, I hate to say it, but this way, they, they really should keep their mouths closed. Uh, there's an old saying, uh, it's better to have people think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And, and the point of that is that here's the data on the schools. There is virtually zero risk to children for dying. These are the numbers. 99.97% of deaths in the U.S. are over 14 and 99.9% are over 25. The risk of hospitalization is extraordinarily small in children. There is no significant risk. Second point, public school teachers, K through 12 teachers, the median age, half of them are under 41. They are not at risk. 82% are under 55. They are not at risk unless they're in the high risk category. By the way, the fatality risk is 0.04% if you're under 70. That is less than or equal to seasonal flu. The journal JAMA Pediatrics says, quote, the risk of a significant illness from seasonal influenza is far greater in children than the risk from a serious illness of COVID-19, unquote. There is no risk. I don't know why people deny this. The second point, all over the world, whether it's Sweden, Switzerland, Austria, Denmark, France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, Canada, uh, Asia, the U.S., the risk of transmission from children is very small, even to their own parents. In fact, Switzerland is contemplating eliminating testing of children because it's irrelevant if they're testing positive. And so 
there's not a risk to teachers. There's not a risk to the children at all. And if there is, and there certainly are high-risk teachers, don't they know how to socially distance? If they think that masks and six feet work, then why don't they do that? And if they don't want to do that, if they're still afraid to do their job, then they can teach from home. But as I've said, schools are an essential business. There's no more essential business than educating our country's children. There are massive harms from keeping schools closed. I think these people are ignoring, again, like we did with the full economic lockdown, the harms of the policy. American Academy of Pediatrics, Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, one of the best hospitals for sick kids, one of the best hospitals in the world for kids both say they delineate the harms okay the harms are there's a lot of absence of learning first of all distance learning doesn't work there's absence of learning social engagement we discover glasses hearing aids we discover child abuse in schools i could go on and on and obviously we don't have the time but but there are massive harms for closing schools it's absurd and there's no risk to keep them open you you have uh You've made me feel better about everything because I don't have the medical background, but my instincts say exactly the same thing. Dr. Atlas, you make so much sense. Can't thank you enough. Okay, thanks for having me. Back in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Just an idea of the two rulings that just came down. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, has bypassed definitive ruling on, on the congressional subpoena for the Trump financial records. Uh, the Supreme Court deferred issuing a definitive ruling on whether Congress co- congressional committees can have access to Trump's tax plan. 7-2 decision sidesteps a politically charged on election year, obviously. The case involves subpoenas from four House committees for banking and accounting. At issue, the sitting president, can he be subjected to congressional oversight under valid legislative purposes? Uh, they said congressional subpoenas for information on the president, however, implicate special concerns regarding the separation of powers. The judgments of the court... Uh, of appeals for the D.C. Circuit and the Second Circuit are vacated and the cases are remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. So they go back down. It looks like they will stay under lock and key till after the election. A lot going on in the Supreme Court today. So the president may have technically got a loss, but the fight continues and nothing's going to be out there. It's up to Mary Trump there to do something unauthorized. Do what uh, Speaker Pelosi couldn't. Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. You can watch us on Fox Nation, get us on iTunes, pick up the podcast on iTunes, iHeart, uh, as well as Radio.com if you ever have to leave our family of affiliates. Uh, We're about to uh, talk to Tom Kirsting. He's a licensed psychotherapist, school counselor, and author of the book, Disconnected, How to Connect, Reconnect Our Digitally Distracted Kids, because I want to find out what the damage is being done to kids from all ages 
as they're forced to miss school because of the pandemic and what other damage could be done if we leave them on the sidelines. The president just got a mixed bag report from the Supreme Court, uh, one that's going to kick it down to debate whether he should have his tax returns released, uh, the other ones that would would block it. So uh, the fight goes on. It'll probably go after Election Day, which it's game on the rest of the way anyway. President's uh, attorney has responded, saying we're pleased that the decisions issued today, the Supreme Court has temporarily blocked both Congress as well as uh, New York State from getting his tax returns. We'll now proceed to raise additional uh, issues in the lower court. That according to uh, Jay Sekulow. So we'll look at that. Uh, quick salute. They had a fundraiser for uh, these uh, police officers, one killed, one uh, wounded in the line of duty. Uh, the KRMG helped run that uh, great affiliate, uh, Cox affiliate. Uh, Tulsa Police Chief Wendell Franklin spent much of the day at LaFortune Park, where Cox Media Group Tulsa and the TPD Foundation organized a major fundraiser. Uh, by late Wednesday, KRMG was able to confirm donations totaling over $500,000 coming in from special uh, text line. KRMG is part, as you know, of Fox, and they're, they're so, so nice to carry our show for two hours a day. Great affiliate, great people. Um, so uh, this Johnson Zarkasan Family Fund uh, is established to help the family of Sergeant Craig Johnson as well as Officer Aras Zarkasan and his family. So that's great news from KRMG. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We are seeing a serious surge in cases. It's a serious health care situation, but it's a very different situation than what we saw a couple of months ago, say, in New York. The average age of individuals testing positive is decades younger than what we've been used to. Alex Azar saying if you're over 70, a much different disease, uh, this uh, pandemic. Uh, the COVID-19 than it is if you're under, and most are under. Coronavirus cases rising in the southwest and southeast. What's going to take for it to come down like it has in the northeast? We'll talk about school openings, sports, and more. Number two. We need a police force. We need these institutions to provide peace and security in society, to allow our lives to flourish. We need to support the police so they're out there protecting the community. But by the same time, we have to be sure that there aren't these abuses. Policing. Is America sobering up to the reality that officers play a key role in our society? In Minneapolis, it's beginning. In New York, it's starting. And the chop zone is such a disaster. I believe that chaos was a great learning moment for the country. Number one. And I think the compromise that uh, they came up with, if implemented, will make Biden the most progressive president uh, since FDR. Ah, there is Bernie Sanders. Now the hard part. The 77-year-old Joe Biden tries to remake himself as a Bernie bro. Will anybody buy it? Plus, the squad is back with more of their radical left agenda. He's supposed to sign on to that, too. What's going to be left of him? And why is it political to want schools to open and do everything possible to make it happen? There's a downside. Yeah, there's a risk if you're over, if you have a if you have a pre-existing condition and you're a teacher, if you're up in age and you're a teacher going to school, yes. But we just talked to Dr. Scott Atlas. There's huge risk to not bringing kids to school. You can't put a first grader on a laptop and expect he or she to learn a thing. Tom Kirstings is a licensed psychotherapist, successful author, school counselor over here in New Jersey. Hey, Tom, welcome. Hey, Brian, how are you? All right, as a doctor that does this, what are the dangers of not opening school in the fall? 
Well, the problem that I'm seeing right now, and this is calls coming into my private practice pretty much in droves, is um, parents up to their eyeballs with kids in screens, you know, using screens, glued to their screens constantly, right? And part of that is because, you know, they were doing their schoolwork on their screens, but additionally, they're not allowed to be going out with their friends. There's no group activities and so forth. Um, and as a result, they're spending more time on the screens. The byproduct of that is, an, is a major uptick in an already existing problem with anxiety, depression, I'm seeing behavioral issues, even physical symptoms. So, you know, kids, you know, their natural habitat, they've got to be out there, uh, social, emotional, being with their friends in the classroom, interacting. They can't be sitting in their bedrooms on screens, you know, forever. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm pushing for. I agree with Trump on this. Got to get the schools open come uh, early fall. Well, I mean, listen to what Dr. Scott Atlas of the Hoover Institute just told us. Let's go to the last soundbite. The risk of transmission from children is very small, even to their own parents. In fact, Switzerland is contemplating eliminating testing of children because it's irrelevant if they're testing positive. That is a huge thing when we try to figure out, is the risk worth it, isn't it? hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, the reality is what I've been what I've been reading and researching and seeing out there is that it's almost a zero percent risk factor for kids in terms of any kind of uh, dangers or deaths from covid. And anybody under 70, most teachers are under 70. And I understand what I think is going to happen as a former uh, school counselor is there's going to be some pushback from some school districts. There's probably going to be some lawsuits. God forbid something happens to a teacher. So, you know, when schools hopefully reopen in the fall. They're going to have to come up with some parameters, just like when I was in the deli the other day and they had like a plastic screen up um, where I had to give my money underneath, uh, you know, underneath the plastic screen to get my sandwich. So I'm not sure what that is. But at the end of the day, we really have to we really have to, to, to understand the well-being of our kids. That's number one. Most important of all, we've got to get them back to normalcy. So tell me about the challenge. First off, in grammar school, a kid misses another semester of grammar school. Yeah, well, you know, kids that th- those that age, you know, grammar school and kids, you know, prior to adolescence, that those are those are where a lot of developmental milestones come from. And developmental milestones occur from social interaction with your peers, from scraping your knee, from somebody stealing your toy, things of that nature. And if our kids are not exposed to, you know, normal um everyday child type things, they're not going to be able to develop the, the necessary coping skills to handle, you know, these adversities when they do go back to school and so forth. There'll be some delays with that, uh, you know, educational delays and so forth. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of this has become politicized and we got to just, you know, we got to kind of get back to common sense. And, and your soundbite earlier, you know, Timmy is common sense. There's almost a zero risk factor for kids. So why would we not send them back to school? Um, elementary school kids, most importantly, in my opinion, because, you know, those uh, those ages are just critically important to taking the steps, you know, that are necessary towards becoming a solid adolescent and a future adult. So when you talk to other teachers, what are they saying? Well, this kind of been a mixed bag. So some teachers I've spoken to, um, former colleagues of mine, um, they're itching to get back to the classroom because it's been way more difficult for them. Uh, teaching, you know, through this new medium that they're not used to. Um, some teacher uh, colleagues of mine have told me that they've worked, they've never worked so hard in their lives. I have another teacher colleague of mine that's concerned because she does have an underlying, you know, immuno, immunodeficiency disorder, and she's concerned for herself about don't, you know, having to go back, you know, come September if they do reopen the schools. So there's definitely the mixed bag there with teachers, but what I'm seeing overall is that more teachers are, are anxious to get back to the classroom and want their kids to be back in the classroom. Are you affiliated with the school right now, Dr. Kirsting? 
Yeah, I'm not. I retired in January after 25 years, so I'm just doing private practice now. Okay. Uh, do you think that schools are already underway with procedures? They are. I've spoken to some some of my my friends that are that are school administrators. Uh, they're they're starting, but they're not. There's 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 a lot of loose ends that they need to tie up, and they're not. You know, they're not a hundred percent. You know, here's the here's the game plan. So they're putting those pieces together. They're meeting regularly. And they're hoping to come up with a, you know, with a proper opening strategy. But there's no, you know, cut and dry. Here's how it's going to be done. It's a learning curve. I want you to hear. This is the diversity of uh, opinions and from doctors. Right? You know, you know, if I disagree with Sean Hannity, that's one thing. But if I disagree and I'm a scientist and a doctor, it confuses people. Cut thirty six. Tom Inglesby. I think we should be working to open schools in the fall safely, but I think there are still a number of important uncertainties. Dr. Burks talked about one of them today, which is understanding the level of serious illness in children as as best we can. But we also have some uncertainty about transmission in schools Mm -hmm. and how easy it is for kids to transmit the disease to their teachers or to their parents or grandparents at home. We need to know as much as we can and do as much as we can Mm -hmm. to make schools safe. So they don't even know. I mean, Dr. Alice, absolutely infinitesimal. Others, it's it's possible. So, you know, if you're a parent, you're saying what? Yeah, I know. And, you know, some parents are scared to send their kids back. Some that I spoke to most, you know, want their kids back to school. But, you know, there's so, much, so many different uh, opinions that you hear, you know, through social media and everything all the time that, you know, people's heads are like spinning. Like, all right, what's going on here? Or, is my kid going to be safe when I send it back to school? This person says it's a 0% chance. This person says that they can transmit it. Um, so I think we got to get some serious scientific data in right. pretty quickly, and um, you know, and really work from that. I mean, that, that's 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 a no-brainer, Brian. So I'm watching Germany, Switzerland. Uh, we're watching Austria. All these every all these countries going back to school. The Netherlands. We have to go back to school, and for yeah, a high schooler, to, yeah. for yeah, they might be able to sit behind a desk at high school. Harvard, they're making them do it again. But don't yep, you think yep. there's another message? And you tell me if I'm wrong. You're the, you're the psychotherapist. But don't you think there's a message like, hey, in life, there are going to be challenges. There's going to be danger. You've got to weigh the risks. Understand your personal responsibility. Clear the hurdle. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that because if, you know, if you're avoiding everything in life out of fear, how do you live life? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you could be driving down your street and a tree limb falls down. What, are you going to never drive again? Uh, because you're afraid of that happening. So, you know, we have to, exactly right, we have to weigh the risks. And back to my, my original point that I was talking about with the, all these screens, because that's, you know, my book is that's coming out August 4th, Disconnected, talks all about that. You know, the impact of screen time on kids' brains, their behaviors, their, their reduction in social skills. We keep kids out of school in September, they're going to be spending that much more time sitting in front of these darn screens and sort of becoming dehumanized instead of human interactors. And we can't have that happen. And now let me add this to it. Stay six feet away. And wear a mask. Yeah. Further physically distancing yourself emotionally and physically from having interactions that make you grow emotionally. And here is what Dr. Atlas just told us about masks. You know we got mixed messages on that. Don't wear one. Yep. Should wear one. You better wear one. Listen to him. The science is weak on masks. And the reason the science is weak on masks is that the science does not talk about the infectious contagiousness. The science is particle studies. You believe this? He says, yeah, I mean, you know, even, you know, it's crazy on my end as a therapist, you know, part of, uh, you know, being a therapist is it's not just what the person is saying to you and verbally yeah. in front of you. It's also picking up on the nonverbal nuances. 
right? So, you know, we have a, the social distancing thing. I'm an essential worker. So there's no masks when people are in my office. I wouldn't be able to counsel somebody with a mask now because I can't read their body language. I can't read their facial cues. So that's another thing nobody's talking about is if we're like required to wear masks forever. You know, I, I go to the supermarket. It looks like everybody's like, you know, walking down like a, like a chain gang with their shoulders sagging, like depressed with their mask on because you can't read their, their facial expressions. The other part of it here, too, is, you know, since day one, and at least in my opinion, how I've looked at this whole thing is, you know, we know about social distancing. If you want to wear a mask, okay. If you don't want to go to a Yankee game, then don't go, um, even though the Yankees aren't playing yet. But, I, you know, I feel like I don't – it's almost like some of these politicians are telling us that we're not smart enough to be able to take care of ourselves, and, and they're going to do it for us. And, you know, I, I, I like freedom, and I like the ability to safeguard myself, my own family, without somebody mandating that on me. And it's, it seems to be getting out of control. Yes, it's something we have to you know, take seriously. But, you know, once the, the, the politicians step in and you know, start requiring wearing masks when the gentleman that you just mentioned here is showing that there's no data suggesting that masks work, you know, what's going on? <laughs> it's frustrating. And it's, uh, when you have these elite scientists say, wash your hands, wear a mask, Mike, really? That's why I send you to 5,000 years of college? Wash your hands, wear a mask? Thanks. Get, get as many <laughs> tests as possible? And let's have some mysterious person come up with a vaccine. We walk around with our heads, we're ready to explode because we have no control over our lives and our livelihoods. That's exactly, that's, that's, the, that's my biggest fear. It's like, you know, people are, you know, are they going to become like obedient and just, and, and like depressed and have no control over their, themselves? You know, this is like, like America. This is like freedom. We're supposed to be, you know, the freest country in the world. We're supposed to be able to, you know, exercise our rights. And, and we should do that in a safe way, you know, when we have a pandemic like this. But, you know, the message is out. People are not stupid. You know, wash your hands, social distance, you know, and be prudent. I mean, and what more can you do? I mean, we're going to shut people down and lock the whole country down forever and require people to wear masks forever. And let's give somebody, uh, some parents, something to take away with. So they notice their kids are acting a little sullen. They don't seem to have the same bounce in their step. They're uncertain about school. They don't have certain that uh, they maybe don't have big plans in the summer. The vacations have been canceled. If you're a parent, how do you get your kid's mind in shape? Yeah, well, here, here's the biggest, most important step right here, Brian. All right? It's something when I'm lecturing around the country you know, about tech use and all that stuff. I'll tell parents, get your kid out of the bedroom and get him into the family room. Because a trend right now that and many of the parents that are listening right now know exactly what I'm about to say is that preteens and teenagers are spending an incredible amount of time in solitude in their bedrooms where they're doing everything, if they're on their devices and so forth. And if that's occurring, then we're not really communicating with our kids. We've got to get them out of the bedroom. Bedroom starts with bed. That means sleep. Family room starts with family. That means family time. So that's going to require parents, you know, to put down your own devices and screens and so forth. Sit and have deep conversations with your children. Got it. Get them helping out cooking around the house. Have your son or daughter take the garbage out. You know, let them be part of the family system. Don't just plop them down in their bedroom in front of a screen. So gotcha. get them and, involved, get them active and so forth. Yeah, in New York, we finally got back to sports. So that's good. And if you never haven't played in a while, go out there. We're remaking the whole thing. Hey, uh, Dr. Kirsting, Dr. Tom Kirsting, thanks so much. Pick up uh, his book, uh, Disconnected, How to Reconnect to Our Digitally Distracted Kids. And I look forward to your next one. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks so much, Brad. Be well. All right. You too. Uh, When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We'll take a few calls now. Uh, Alan's listening to WTRC, South Bend, Indiana. Alan. Brian, how are we doing today? Good. Good. Hey, I just want to talk about some of the inconsistencies that uh, in the profession that I'm in. I, I can't really tell you who I work for, but I can tell you I work in a lot of labs and hospitals in northern Indiana and uh, uh, throughout the state. And throughout the whole COVID thing, the numbers, I know a lot of pathologists, PAs and doctors, and they're all scratching their heads. And that includes some of the pharmacists, too. Uh, a lot of the reporting is inconsistent with what's shown on TV. Um, some, uh, a friend of mine who's a physician's assistant, he was actually on a COVID team, and they were taking overflow from a larger hospital. Um, and they're a 400-bed hospital themselves. And the most that they ever saw at any given point in time was 20 patients. And recently, they're talking about spikes. Well, I talked to him the other day about that, and he told me that they're seeing about maybe 10 to maybe 12 patients uh, in this big hospital. And, and the duration of it is about one to two days, and they're not intubating anybody. So that's one aspect. And the other thing that I wanted to bring to light, and you probably already know about this, is there was an article on Newsmax where they were talking about um, how they how they count these COVID tests now, especially as it applies to Texas, where if somebody has a low-grade fever and then they have a headache, well, they count that as a probable, but a probable down there is counted as a COVID. And then what they do is they count 15 other people that have been around that person that they haven't even tested, and those actually go towards the, the total, too. So you've got 16 people now that are applied to that number in every yeah. situation. And we'll see. Uh, these hospitals are jammed, but they uh, a lot of them are jammed because they have other patients where originally they cleaned out the whole floor waiting for the surge that never happened. Uh, I hope we get on top of this soon. We can start talking about a country that is pushing this virus out instead of one that is really going up and down. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All the talk the last 20 years about driving down the rationale for unions. All of a sudden, this this phrase, everybody's been woked. Well, guess what? The rest of the working class people in America have been awakened and realized, whoa, why? Because I work at a fast food restaurant that I have to sign an agreement that I will not compete a non-compete agreement that I will not go across town to another fast food restaurant and try to get a raise. What in the hell is that about? Good point. Uh, not yet, but I'm sure it is somewhere. Chris Starwell, political editor for Fox News, joins us now. Uh, Chris, have you been woke? Uh, listening to Joe Biden talk about being woke uh, is like listening to, like, I would like to also have him talk about what TikTok is and how it works. I think there's just a punch list of things. We should have the grandpa debate with Trump ah. and <laughs> Biden where we just like say, OK, we're going to show you a picture or we're going to say a phrase. We want you to talk about it or guess what it is. And I would like I would I, I would I would be here for that. Although, you know, when it comes to uh, social media, I don't know if you heard, but the president's quite active. You can see it very at home uh, with that. On Twitter, you say. Twitter. Yeah. Huh. Weird. So Weird. so two major court cases come down and yep. it turns out 
one goes his way, one doesn't, but we're probably not going to see his tax returns before the election. Uh, I, th- I think that's true. I mean, I, I have th- those who are holding out that it will take a long time. The, the president's supporters who are holding out that it's going to take a long time for uh, the Manhattan district attorney to, to get this turned around in the lower court, I think are, are sort of wishful thinking. I think that will happen quickly. Uh, now, whether or not those leak, I, uh, I tend to agree with the sort of cynical view of human nature that says uh, these things are going to leak. And it, it's sort of there are so many people who, when you have something and it starts when the ball starts moving, there are so many people who want to see it. Every newspaper, every television network, every outlet in the world is going to be panting after these things. And, you know, something could slip out. But I put it this way. I think from a constitutional perspective, uh, the court and every, including Justice Thomas and his dissent, the broad consensus here, and you hear it from Gorsuch, you hear it from others, that what Trump was asserting in terms of his immunity was poppycock, right? You can't, you can't state that the president is immune from, from everything. Um, and that sort of magisterial uh, approach was not going to fly in the American system. Um, that's true. On the other hand, I don't think even if they were to come out, I don't unless there's something in there that's really shocking. I don't think there's anything in there that would particularly affect the election. It's uh, a hassle for Trump and his campaign. Uh, it's uh, not welcome news, obviously, for a guy who has worked so hard to keep secret his finances. But I just I can't imagine that there that there are voters out there who would say. You know, I was for Trump, and then I saw his tax returns, and now I'm against him. It's sort of like the impeachment when Republicans said, yeah, he probably did it. I wish he wouldn't have, but it's Trump. What are you going to do? I think there's so much of it baked in with Trump. The idea that, that any Democrat would be hoping that somehow the release of these tax returns would help would help Joe Biden to a great degree, I think, is wishful thinking. So the Pew Research does a study and they say 21 percent of Sanders voters and 40 percent of Warren supporters say they have a very favorable view of Joe Biden. Now that they've put together that panel and released 110 pages on how Joe Biden could be more like Bernie Sanders, does anything change or everything change? Uh, Sanders is to the, the degree to which Sanders is uh, was saying, "Oh, we really moved him. It was a success." I think is a reflection that they failed. Um, there's, a, you know, the stuff that the stuff that Biden is out in favor of: free college, uh, f- uh, free community college for everybody, free college uh, for everybody for from a household of less than one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Biden already has a lot of, you know, aggressive. Uh, it, it's more traditionally liberal than the progressive agenda, but it is there's already enough stuff for Trump to assail. Biden is spending too much and regulating too much and doing too much. Um, I think what happens here is the blueprint goes over it's this, you know, 110 page long, whatever. And the blueprint goes over and Biden says, we are take a long, hard look at these recommendations on carbon neutrality and blah, 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 blah. And then he tries to run out the clock. I, I think the hope will be on Biden's part that this buys him a little more time right. so he can get closer to the election. So, Chris, let me go inside the numbers for you. Here's what I think. Um, do, you have, do you want a pen or do you want me to wait or do you have one there? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So here's what I think. Joe Biden, if he runs as a moderate, he's alone. 
Yeah, I know he's running against Trump, and that's a positive for Democrats. He needs to win over the AOCs, the next generation of radical left uh, politicians, and he needs to win over the Bernie Sanders people, uh, the socialist wing that grew up bigger than anyone thought. So if he actually gives lip service or no service to these concerns, he loses them come Election Day. Your thought? Uh, I mean, yes. So the, here, here would be the, the – here's how Joe Biden could lose the election. Joe Biden can lose the election if – uh, the middle is up for grabs, because if the middle is up for grabs, then he has to worry about his base. Right. Trump spends all this time worrying about his base, but doesn't compete for the middle. He doesn't try. He just worries about keeping his base intact. If something happens that Biden can't count on this broad support among suburbanites and college educated white people, if he can't if he can't count on those votes, then they've got him over a barrel. Right. Yep. Then AOC then AOC can say, well, uh, I guess you're, you've come crawling back now that your uh, suburbanites are, are souring on you. But uh, until or unless those moderate voters start to move toward Trump, uh, Biden can do a lot of head padding and those folks can stay home and they'll get a lot of attention for doing so. But that's the. If you're up by 10 points, that's one of the advantages that you have right. is that you can look at your, your your base and say, well, I'd like to help you out. But as you can see, I don't really need you. Yeah, I don't think um, I think if they stay home. Trump wins and they need him and they're not easily duped. You might not agree with the Bernie Sanders supporters, but they're not dumb. And you might not agree with the squad. And I don't think many listeners do, but they're not dumb. I never thought they were dumb. And they know when they're being event, take advantage of. And if they believe that Biden's not going to do anything for them. I don't know if they do anything. I mean, all they're asking, and it's really not a big deal, abolish ankle bracelets, abolish gang databases, uh, make grants to local jurisdictions to empty jails. Uh, Let's eliminate the DEA and ICE. Besides that, I don't think it's asking too much. Uh, (laughs) I just think, yeah. The the ones that could really be trouble for Biden if, if, if he were to accept them. Uh, are on the carbon front and the greenhouse front. These are very aggressive aims that they're that they're calling for. Uh, total carbon neutral U.S. 2050. Yes. Uh, tr- 1.4 trillion dollars to be spent on carbon, 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 and that is one for Biden that he knows they were able to keep the fracking ban out of the document, so Biden is not isn't didn't have to cave there, but. These are aggressive, aggressive policies that the same voters who are uh, rejecting Trump for his conduct are looking would look at that and say, this is too expensive. Right. And by the way, ask him flat out, are you going to get rid of fracking? And he would say yes. And that's going to be great for Pennsylvania. Or he's going to flat out lie because that's where the pressure is going to be. He's got, uh, yeah, achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, eliminate carbon pollution from power plants 2035, rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement, which we thought they would do. I don't know if they'll, they'll let him back in. So when it comes to policing, very interesting take. He said, I'm not for defunding police. And then he was asked about it. Cut 13. Surplus military equipment for law enforcement. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that... do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes, uh, absolutely. Okay. I'm sorry. Was he being interviewed by a robot? No, I think in... He was yet yeah, disabled. 
Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. That was a. I see, I see. Yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't know that. I, I, I had a chance to see the video. We played it on Fox and Friends. So he was being interviewed because he—that's what he does. One by one, he talks to people one by one in his basement. That's the the least aggressive campaign in the history of America. Ah. Uh, so. So already in a follow-up question, he says, "I'll define. You know, I'm going to defer. I'm going to defund. I'm going to redirect." So, well, that, goodbye, say, cops. I goodbye, mean, cops. Families. Goodbye, people that like cops. There are a lot of Republicans who said, who say that the mili- military equipment to police goes too far. That's uh, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio. Uh, that's not a keep going. That's not a. But will position. you redirect funds? And he says yes. Now, I mean, I. I think it's going to be hard. Here's what I would say. It's going to be hard for Republicans to simultaneously accuse Joe Biden of being a racist and at the same time being a radical on these questions. Who, who what do you I mean think, by racist? I, I never I haven't heard that one. So the, so so Republicans have said that Biden's support of uh, police crackdowns in the 90s uh, fell disproportionately on uh black uh black americans and that gave the eulogy for senator bird eulogy for like the, taking off the list of things uh that biden has done uh, uh referencing um the criticisms from kamala harris and uh, uh cory booker about uh his soft spot for uh the segre- the, the last of the old-time segregationists in the senate all of that stuff so there's there's that narrative that Biden is like a stealth bigot and that he is really too pro police for Democrats. And then at the same time, say he is also radically opposed to police. I think I think the Trump campaign has to pick one narrative or the other. He's bad for black America and black America can't trust him or he is uh, a radical who will make our cities unsafe by his attacks on the police. So that's, that's a great point, Chris. And guess who else has to make a choice? Joe Biden. Hmm. He's got to tell me where he stands. I'm not the same guy I was. Okay, that's going to alienate some moderates. I am. I'm, I'm gone way left. That's going to alienate some moderates. I am that guy that cracks down on crime. Goodbye, way left. So I'm just saying that if he, they have to get close enough, they have to get close enough, uh, the Trump team, to force Joe Biden out right. and to right. start campaigning three times a day and taking questions from the press pool along the way. And then these follow-up questions, not from hand-picked supporters, uh, will become very problematic to him. But they got to get close. In other words, uh, you got to make them pass. The only way to right. get a team to turn the ball over is to make them pass. And you're not going to get them to pass unless they're trailing. That's that's a hundred percent right. That's a great way to put it. Uh, the if you know that the other if you know that the other offense can't throw the ball, you can stop them every time. Yep. And uh, it doesn't matter how good your defense is, as long as you know what they're going to do. And since the Trump campaign and the president are not able currently to reach out to those persuadable moderate voters who back to you know that what what everybody forgets, we say that it, that Trump. Uh, won the presidency because of the revolt of working class whites. And that's true. There's there's a lot of truth in that. And when you look at the states where Trump won, that's true. But the secret sauce, the real success for Trump, was that so many millions of people who were skeptical of him or maybe even didn't like him voted for him. And he won suburbanites, which is half of the electorate. He won suburbanites by five points. He's trailing with suburbanites in our most recent poll by 22 points. 
Uh, He's got to get in the game. He's got to be able to pass the ball so that he can make a credible threat to keep Biden off balance so that he can start scoring some touchdowns. Because as long as he can only go one place, which is back to uh, working-class whites, uh, if he can only do that and he can't do the thing with the college-educated, more affluent suburban voters, it's Mm -hmm. never going to work. Yeah, and I would say, if I'm the president, too, I say, you see that chaos in the streets? You ask me who's better to rein it in. How many statues are going to be left if I'm not here? Uh, I think he he got a patriotism thing rolling on Friday, Saturday. Sadly, these teardown of uh, Ulysses S. Grant and Lincoln as opposed to uh, General Lee, I believe, could actually be a, an authentic plus for him. Because he doesn't have to say poll test that. That's how he feels. He feels all those statues should be up. And I think a lot of those, a lot of those suburbanites feel the same way. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yep. Hey, uh, Chris, uh, good luck the rest of the way. I mean, I've started out the right way with you. What can go wrong? You know what? Nothing except for a pandemic and wild civil unrest. (laughs) (laughs) Only those two things. Other than that, everything is great. (laughs) Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. I'm going to try to, if we could be rapid fire, I'm going to try to get to as many calls as possible. And in my fight to push back on the war in history, offer uh, my books and I'll sign and send them. Roe is listening on WABC in the Bronx. Roe. Hi, Brian. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Well, I got a letter today from my daughter's school, and I thought you might be interested in what the letter said. Okay. It said, um, a major difference is that we are preparing to deliver the education through a blended learning model. Blended learning means students will be taught on site in school for part of the week and will attend school remotely on the other days of the week. Already? Yes, already. If you want a copy of the letter, I would be happy to well, send it. Well, Rod, this is unbelievable because how much more do they want us to do to the curve? There's, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing left to this currently. There's nothing left. We know how to deal with it. That is, that's robbery for your daughter of an education and interaction. Feel so bad about that. Um, listen, by the way, there was another verdict that came down to the Supreme Court. I told you about the first one that went against President Trump. Here's the one that went for him and his tax returns. Let's listen. It's a much different uh, situation where you have three committees here from the House who have been arguing over this, uh, getting access to these records. They have said they have a legislative purpose. Well, the court said today it is possible that that uh, congressional subpoenas can be carried out against a president. That principle is in place. But they give sort of a four part test that you got to go through to see if it's a legitimate inquiry or if it's harassment against another branch of government. Uh, The court goes on to say the courts below did not take adequate account of these concerns. So the judgments are thrown out and the cases go back. So it looks now like those lower courts will have to work through the four-part test. None of this is going to happen swiftly. And so for the president, for now, at least we know that those House committees will not have quick access. Uh, it could take you know months, years to continue those legal battles below. Good. Jack, listen to WIBX in Utica, New York. Jack. Hi, Brian. I'll try to be quick. Um, I, I wanted to give you an opinion that I've got about reopening the, uh, the economy and maybe how it should have been handled in the past. And I, and I think that 
We've known for a long time that the really vulnerable people to the serious illness are, are the elderly and the people with co- or even younger people with comorbidities. Uh, I think that those people should have been told, look, you're you're at risk, you're at high risk, Sweden model. you should stay home. Pardon me? The Sweden model. Keep the economy yeah, going, keep the, vo- yeah, the, keep the economy going, get the vulnerable, have them shelter in place and take care of them. Correct. And, and then the rest of the economy, you know, go ahead. You know, it, it's not your responsibility to protect me. I'm 71 years old. I'm saying this. I'm 71 years old. Uh, you know, I've got a history of cardiovascular disease. I had triple bypass surgery. I'm diabetic. I have a, a, a diagnosis of asthmatic bronchitis in my history. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a walking time bomb here, you know. I know. But, you better um, stay in. we got to no, watch you. Jack, yeah. I need you in the audience. Thank you. Jack and Roe, I'm going to get you booked, so hold on. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.